there are some chapters of the Bible in which the glory of God is seen by reminding us of what happens when God withdraws himself. In Genesis 34, we learn of Jacob's partial obedience leading to the folly of Dinah and the destruction of Shechem at the hands of Simeon and Levi. For the Lord is our defense, yea, he defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yea, he defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yea, he defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yea, he defend us. Having spent a few years now in Shechem, Genesis 34 opens with Dinah's visit to the city. She's a teenager by this stage and is curious about life in the community nearby. In the opening seven verses, we are told that the prince of the city, Shechem, takes Dinah for himself, violates her, and from verse 26 appears to hold her hostage. Now, when you read what happens here, the word used to describe what happens to Dinah is the same. It uses the word defile in verses 2 and 5. But the Hebrew undergirding these words is different. So, in verse 2, the sense is that she was afflicted or humbled or forced upon. So it's describing the act itself, whereas in verse 5, the, another translation would be uncleanness or polluted, which is the consequences, the moral consequences of what happened to her. Now, as weird as it may appear to us, Shechem falls for Dinah, and he desires to marry her. And so as word is brought back to Jacob, he sits there, doesn't say a word, until Dinah's brothers appear on the scene. Now, when you read this passage, it's, it's hard to avoid the thought that Jacob exhibits a certain passivity here. It's almost as if Leah's sons take the role of the protector or the fatherly position in Dinah's life. It's interesting to note that in verse 7, we find the first occurrence of a term that describes a heinous act uh, among the covenant people of God, wrought folly in Israel. Now, from verse 18 through 19, a negotiation begins in which uh, Hamor and Shechem begin to discuss with Jacob and his sons what should be done. Now, Jacob's sons take the lead. and They negotiate. They suggest that if you want to have our daughters and if you want to have Dinah to wife, then you're all going to have to be circumcised. Now, reading this passage, Shechem comes across as some spoiled son and with a father who's willing to give him whatever he wants. But there's a curveball here because verse 19 tells us that he is more honorable than all of his father's house. So it may indicate that what's actually happening in Shechem's heart is really a drawing out after Dinah, and not just Dinah, but the whole family. Here's a man who perhaps is beginning to see God's blessing and favor upon this family. He wants to be a part of it. And maybe something is going on in his heart and life. And so from verse 20 through to the end, Hamor and Shechem return to their city and convince all the other males to be circumcised. They present it not quite as something that is really <laughs> for Shechem so much as this would benefit them all. Prosperity and the, the possibility of having access to the daughters of Jacob and his household. And so with all of the males circumcised and in a condition of recovery, Levi and Simeon take their swords, enter the city and kill all of the males, including Hamor and his son Shechem. They then proceed to uh, take all the livestock, take all the wealth, take the woman and take the children. So as you come to the close of the chapter, Jacob issues a word to his sons. You would imagine he would be lamenting their wickedness, but really... 
It's more a word of self-preservation. Jacob's he's, he's more concerned about himself here. Now, later on in Genesis 49, he will issue a curse upon their anger as he properly understands what they have done. And so we come to application. One, unpleasant circumstances follow half-hearted obedience. There appear to be a couple of shortcomings that are important to consider in this passage. First of all, if we are to take the command of the next chapter to heart, where God calls Jacob to go to Bethel, and combine it with chapter 28, we, we come to the conclusion that really that ought to have been the place where Jacob should have settled. He shouldn't have spent years in Shechem. Had he gone to Bethel, none of the events we read of in this chapter would have transpired. Second, Dinah's curiosity is probably not being helped by Jacob's favoritism towards Rachel and Joseph. Fathers, there can be grave consequences when we neglect any duty. Embrace your responsibilities, be present for all of your children, and make sure you give your entire heart to obey God in every understood duty. Two, children need parental restraint in their lives. Is it not easy to see how important it would be for someone to step into Dinah's life and hedge her away from her curiosity? Parents, make sure your children have no reason to question your love. You're going to need them to have that knowledge when the time comes that they need restraint. Whatever you do, don't stand by and just watch as your children gratify their sinful desires. Dinah's in a house full of boys and she's interested in what the other girls in the neighborhood and community are doing. And Jacob, he just seems to be completely oblivious or uninterested in stepping in and helping his daughter. How many parents have listened to the appeal of their children as they have longed to go to another church that has their friends there or has certain ministries there catering for young people, and yet in doing so, they sacrifice a solid biblical church in order to gratify these desires of their children. Often God opposes these decisions not because the church you go to is all that bad, but because the motive for changing is the priority of the children rather than God's priorities. Young person, please listen to godly voices, and you ought to be very skeptical about any sense of certainty you have in your own judgment, given the brevity of your life experience. Three, God's people must learn to balance accountability with compassion to victims of crime. It's easy to see Dinah's shortcomings in this passage, but nothing she did was deserving of the crime and violation that happened to her. Christian, when dealing with someone who has made a poor business decision or a poor decision with regard to relationships or something of that nature, don't compound the guilt and shame by saying something like, serves you right. Remember what scripture says, he that is glad at calamities shall not go unpunished. Show compassion, be the hands and feet and heart of Christ and make it clear to them that the Lord Jesus Christ is near unto them of a broken heart. Although we live in a society of victimhood, let it not harden you against those who are oppressed and in need of our help. Four, different cultures abide by different social contracts and social covenants. Social contracts and covenants relate to the, the rules we are governed by and the values we hold to. For example, our understanding of time is a social covenant. 
In some parts of the world, punctuality is expected, whereas in other parts of the world, nothing ever happens on time. When these cultures collide, it creates confusion, but when they're understood, everything is fine. I say all of this for the benefit of young people, just so you understand how the world works. Sheikha may not have understood the distinction of right and wrong the way Dinah and Jacob and the rest of them would have. And this is what happens when two different cultures can come together. Sometimes they collide, they just simply don't understand how the other one functions. They don't live by the same social covenants or contracts. And so this is why you want to marry someone who understands so that you're on the same page. So if you do decide to marry someone who doesn't have a similar background to you, be very careful because your marriage could be littered with the pain of unmet expectations. 5. God hates unjust violence and will judge it harshly. Whatever may be said of Jacob's passivity here, Simeon and Levi must be held accountable for their unbridled, unrestrained rage. Whatever ought to have been done to Shechem for his sin, whatever compromise may have been agreed in the midst of awful circumstances, killing every man in the city was completely out of order. James tells us that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, and the psalmist tells us that God hates those who love violence. Many Christians love to find ways to justify their anger, but it's seldom warranted. How few there are that are able to model the rare displays of Christ's righteous indignation. And finally, it is an act of great wickedness to use the ordinances of God for false ends. That's one of the worst sins in this entire horrendous chapter. Simeon and Levi take the sign of the covenant and use it to deceive and to mete out revenge. But this still happens today. Churches will serve the Lord's table and never say that it's only for believers. They will baptize infants again without making sure that the parents are believers. They will baptize adults sometimes again without looking for evidences of grace in one's life. To commit any sin is grievous, but to drag sin into the observance of God's ordinances in some fashion I mean, this is the very reason why many were sick and many slept in the Corinthian church. The judgment of God was coming upon them for an abuse of an ordinance of God. Oh, believer, make sure that you're in right relationship with God. Young person, make sure you don't fall into the sins of this chapter. Make sure you listen to God's word and listen to godly voices and make sure that you avoid even the very appearance of evil, lest it take your heart and lead you into bypath meadows. Mm -hmm.